prepare on a Sunday morning because there's something unique, and God is still teaching me about this. There's something unique about when people gather together like this to meet with God. There's something unique when the hearts are right. I, I want you to hear that. The, there's something unique when the hearts really come to meet with God, when it's not just religion. So how do you prepare to come? Do you get up at 9.30 and wake up the kids and, hurry, you know, do you hurry out the door and you fight all the way? Or, yeah, I know. <laughs> I grew up in church. I know what it's like. And some days there's, there's that. Or do you wake up and do you, do you spend some time with God before you come? Do you, do you have a heart of prayer before you show up so that you show up ready not just to receive but also to give out? I mean, who are you going to meet? There's a lot of needy people in this room right now. I'm seeing a lot of them. Do you come to be part of what God is doing? Somebody just raised their hand in the back. Was that Roy? That was my mother-in-law. Needy? Oh, Roy. She's pointing at Roy. Roy's needy. But, but are we prepared when we come? We, uh, we pray at 930. If you're not aware, anybody serving on a Sunday, because we consider everybody serving as worship leaders, whether you're in the back, whether you're with the kids, whether you're greeting, or you're all worship leaders. And at 930, we pray so that we're in the right mind, so that not, we're not just doing religion. I would encourage you you can show up at 9.30. That's not exclusive for just those serving that day. If you want to show up at 9.30 and pray with us, that would be awesome. I mean, how neat if all of us came a half hour early and just prayed together uh, in expectation of what God would do. So just wanted to put that bug in your ear because that, that second song was awesome. That, that's where my mind was going, asking God to be with us. Uh, let me pray, and we'll get into what we're doing today. Father in heaven, ah, we love you. We gather because we love you, and we love you because you first loved us. While we were still sinners, Jesus, you died for us. We did nothing to earn your love, but by your grace, you looked at the, us, and you, you chose us to be part of your family in your grace, and you know our imperfections. We can't hide anything from you, and you love us anyway. We thank you uh, that you love us, but we also thank you that you don't leave us in our sin. You don't leave us the way we we are the way we were when we came to you, but you want to change us. You want to make us more like you. And with that comes love. It comes joy and peace. Uh, it, it comes a connection with you, and it comes real fulfillment. But also with that comes suffering, uh, comes some pain as we actually live for you. But we pray that we would do that. We would be changed to be like you, Jesus, that you would live in and through us, and that we would experience your joy and your peace in the midst of ambitiously, boldly living as witnesses for you. Holy Spirit, be here with us. Speak to us this morning through your word. Give us the comfort that we might need. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be in John 14. John 14, so if you need to turn there, go ahead and turn there. Uh, you can use your electronic equipment, computation device, whatever. Um, or there's a Bible in the seat in front of you if you don't have one. But I was going to ask, if I ask you this... I want you to think of an answer. Where is home? Where is home for you? Where, kids are. <laughs> where, where your kids are. That's, that's good. Thank you. We, we didn't plan that, but that's good. Yeah. But, but think about where, where is home? For me, home was Woodland Park, Colorado, small town where I grew up. That was home. That was where my mom grew up. My dad grew up. My grandma grew up. That was where, you know, there was a church that my great-grandparents were part of uh, in the early 20th century. I mean, that was home. The, the smells, the places, my friend's house that, you know, we'd go hang out in his backyard. Just the whole place, that was home. I rode my bike around that thing for years and years and years, and I knew everything about that was home for me. 
And then I left. I went to college, like some of you guys are about to go to college. I left, uh, and it was just, there was something about going home. And I went far away. I went to Southern California, so I didn't get to go home much. But when I went home, it was like, ah, I'm home. You know, that idea, there's no place like home. But as the years went on, and I went back less and less, but when I did go back, fewer and fewer of the people that made it home were there. And I, and I realized that home isn't so much the place, but it's the people. That's what you were saying about your kids. Home is really the people. So the last time I went back um, was last fall, and we were just there for a couple days, but we went to church, the church I grew up in, and I didn't know very many people. I mean, I looked around, it's like this, the only people left are my parents and some other distant acquaintances, I guess, but it wasn't really home anymore because home is where the people are. And today we're going to be looking at Jesus speaking to his disciples who are troubled. They're troubled because he says he's going to be going away, but he's going to promise them he's going to prepare a place for them and he's going to come back and bring them to him. So he's comforting them because he's going away and they're troubled because he's home for them. Picture the scene before we read through this though. You know, this is his final hours and he's going away. They've spent three years with Jesus. They had placed all their hopes and dreams on Jesus as the Messiah, the son of God. And now he's going away and they're troubled. Going, What's this going to mean? You know, he told them he was going to go away before. He was going to have to die, but they didn't get it. They didn't get it till, till after this. But he's going to comfort them. He's going to comfort them by telling them just a little bit about the future, a little bit about what's going to come. And so we're going to look at that and see this promise that he made, this promise that he made to come back and take them to be with him so that where he is, they could be always. That's the comforting thing. I'm kind of giving it away. The comforting thing for these disciples is that he says, forever and ever and ever, we will be together. You can bank on that. And so as life is difficult, take this promise with you. And that promise extends to us. Very exciting. Let me read the passage and then we'll get into it. John 14, we're going to do verses 1 through 11. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words which I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Lord Jesus, I ask you again, Holy Spirit, be here with us. Open up our hearts and our minds. This passage is so full of, of rich meaning and application. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work in our hearts to do what I can't do. Convict, encourage, 
and increase in us an adoration for you. In Jesus' name, amen. So remember the context. They, they've been in the upper room. They had the supper, uh, dinner together. Jesus reveals Judas as the betrayer and sends him out. Judas leaves. This is after Jesus washed all of their feet, taught them about love, and Judas is gone, and then Jesus continues to teach about love. And now it, it's, a, it's a time of tension because Jesus is going away soon, and he, these are his last words. It's his farewell address. These are the last things he wants them to understand, and they are obviously clearly troubled, and he's going to comfort them. And so I want you to put that in your mind. Are you ever troubled about the future? Is life ever troubling, difficult, where you go, I don't know what's going on, I don't know what to do about this, discouraged, maybe even about your own faith? That was the thing that stuck out to me this morning as I was reading back through this again. Do you ever look at your own walk with Jesus and go, oh, how am I going to make it? How am I going to do this? I'm not good enough. I'm still dealing with this sin or that sin. Am I really saved? All those things. All of this that troubles us, in this passage we get comfort from Jesus. Now here's how it begins. Look before, in chapter 13, Jesus is teaching about the, uh, the, this new commandment to love. And then he says this in 1333, little children, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you where I am going, you cannot come. And then he gives the new commandment. But you know, Peter, he latched on that. I'm not sure he heard the new commandment. He just heard this, I'm going away and you can't come. So in verse 36, Simon Peter says to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now but you will follow afterward. And then here's where we have Peter promise to follow him, even to death. Jesus says, no, you're actually gonna deny me three times by tomorrow morning. And so there's that lingering, so that's troubling. I'll follow you to death, now you're saying I'm gonna deny you by tomorrow morning three times, and we know that's what happens, and we see later Jesus restoring him. But here's, here's the scene, where is he going? And so that is what Jesus is responding to. These 11 disciples there, troubled by this, frustrated, confused, concerned, and he says, let not your heart be troubled. They were troubled and obviously so. What's the answer to a troubled heart? He gives it right here. Believe in God, believe also in me. This sets up the rest of it. What is the cure for a troubled heart? Belief in God and in Jesus. It's that simple. All right, see you next week. <laughs> well, the cure for a troubled heart is personal trust in Jesus and the Father. This belief means faith. It's not just belief about, but it's belief in. Notice that word. He says, believe in God and in me. Our faith isn't about a person. Our faith is in Jesus. So he says, believe in God, believe also in me. Through the rest of this passage, you'll see Jesus teach in a unique way about his connection with the Father. We're going to see the Trinity here in one of the best ways we can in Scripture, and we still won't fully understand it. But we see the unity of the Father and Son, and he's saying the cure for a troubled heart is belief in the Father and the Son. Trust me, he says. But the problem is that he's going away. And so he says this in verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. 
I have written in the margin of my Bible here, comfort. That's, that's the comfort. When life gets hard, we can read this. We can open this and go, Jesus says, I'm coming back for you. And you're going to be with me forever. Okay. Okay. That's the comfort that we, we have here. The, the rescue boat. Yeah. The father's house. What he's talking about here, the father's house. This is the holy of holies in the temple. The direct presence of God. That's what he means. For eternity, you can be in the direct presence of God. My father's house. He says there's many rooms. The old King James says many mansions. Uh, maybe not the best translation. There's many rooms. There's a lot of space is the point. There's a lot of space there. You know, I remember reading this through my life, and here, maybe you've had this picture. Maybe I'm the only idiot. Jesus was a carpenter, right? So I picture Jesus with the tool belt on, like adding on to a building, <laughs> and, and okay, you know, Mark just gave his life to Jesus. We need to put another room on, you know? And, and so that was kind of the picture that I had of Jesus preparing a place, um, a building, making the beds, I don't know, putting mints on pillows. I mean, that was kind of the picture that I had. That's wrong. <laughs> but it's not all wrong. Because the problem, there's a problem. He says, there's plenty of room in my father's house, but here's the problem. You can't be there. God the Father cannot be in the presence of sin. And we've all sinned, so we can't be in the presence. Of, so what he's saying is, be comforted. There's plenty of room in my father's house. But by the way, you can't go there because you're not holy. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. What this means, and all commentators agree, is what it means is he is going to prepare the way. He's going to the cross. He's going to prepare the way to make that possible. Only he could deal with the sin, and that's what he did. The next day, this is why Jesus is troubled. Later, they go to pray in the garden, and Jesus is troubled because he knows what he's about to take. Not just the pain, the physical pain, but the burden of sin on him. He prepared the way. Maybe you've seen the picture before of a, a chasm and two cliffs. We're on one side, God is on the other, and we can't go, but then you just lay the cross between. I think it's a great picture. That's what's happening right here. Jesus is saying, I'm going to prepare the way. They don't get what he's saying, but he knows. Can you imagine that? In his own heart, he knows what's about to come. I'm going to prepare a way for you so that where I am, you can be also. And he says this, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Now, this verse Oh, sorry, I skipped a note. If you're a note taker, Jesus on the cross prepared the place in God's presence for those who would believe. Jesus on the cross prepared the place in God's presence for those who would believe. And this makes sense. Their concern, they wanted to be with Jesus. He was leaving. He says, I'm making the way so you can be with me forever. And he says, I will return. I'll, I will return to make you uh, so you can be with me forever. The picture that came to my mind here was, uh, you, you ever been over there in the kids area when a mom is dropping off their kid for the first time, one year old or so? <laughs> and and uh, the baby cries and cries and cries and, and, and mom sues by saying, I'm leaving, but I'll be back in just an hour. Unless Derek is wordy, an hour and 10 minutes. But uh, you comfort with those words, I'm coming back, right? And the kids don't really hear it. But eventually they get used to it when you prove that you come back. But that's kind of the idea. These disciples are troubled because he's leaving. He says, but I'm, I'm coming back. Now, 
there are some wrong views of, of what this means. I'm going to tell you what those are, and then I'm going to tell you what the right ones are. Some would say that he's going away and his coming back means he comes back in his resurrection. So he rose from the dead, we know that, and he appeared to them for 40 days. Some say that's what this was talking about. That's not what he's talking about. That's true, that happened, that was awesome, but that's not it. Some will say because the next, what we're looking at next week, don't miss next week, it's awesome, we're looking at the Holy Spirit. After Jesus died, rose, and ascended, then he sent the Holy Spirit the third member of the Trinity, to dwell in and with us. So some are saying here that he says, I will come back so you can be where I am. He's talking about the Holy Spirit who will come back, dwell in, and we are in his presence. I mean, right now we are in the presence of Jesus. So some are saying that's what he's talking about. That's true, but that's not true here. That's not what he's talking about. Some are saying this is at death because how many funerals have you heard this taught at at a funeral? And it's a great thing. That's fine to use it at a funeral for comfort, but it's not talking about even at death. This is very specific. He's talking about when he comes back and he's going to take us to be with him. This is the second advent. This is when Jesus bodily returns to the earth. That is a one-time event that is coming in the future. We don't know a lot of the details around it. We have ideas, but we know he's coming back. Uh, look at 1 Thessalonians or I think it might be up on the screen, or I'll just read it to you. Uh, but this is probably the best passage we have in 1 Thessalonians, where Paul is comforting people, and he's comforting them about, you know, people who have passed away, people who had died. But this is talking about Jesus' second coming. So listen to these words. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, meaning those who have died that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died on the cross, again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Listen to this. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. How similar is this to what we are just reading? He's coming back. We will be with him forever. Uh, the, the term we use for this is rapture, which comes from a Latin translation, but this is the rapture. Now, we could really get into this because this is what splits a lot of Christians and churches is what's coming in the future. Um, we're going to stick with the context, but I do want to give you a little bit of a glimpse of what's, what he's talking about because it's comforting. So bear with my art. Okay. Timeline. This is a timeline. Don't chuckle. <laughs> Karen's not here, so I can get away with this. Karen's the artist who painted at Easter. Um, here's the cross. We're starting our timeline at the cross. After Jesus died, rose again, ascended, sent the Holy Spirit, people died. And that's what they were worried about. They said, Jesus had promised to come back and take us to be with them. Now he's waiting too long. People are dying. What do we do? People died. Here, here is, we're not going to go to all the passages, but here's the general idea of, of what the Bible would teach. Here's the presence of God. When a person dies in Christ, 
Sorry, I'm in the way. If a, when a person dies who believes, Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If that's you and you die, your soul or spirit immediately goes to the presence of God and Jesus. Remember uh, on the cross, the thief that placed his faith in Jesus right there, Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't say at the end of the age you'll be resurrected. That's true. He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. There's debates because God's outside of time. Do they go straight from here like to the end? Because I, that could be true because God's outside of time. But for you, for me, when we die, we are immediately present with Jesus, immediately. Do we have our new body right then? I don't think so. Some think so, some don't. That's debatable and that's okay. But immediately you go to be with God. Okay, here's people living, woohoo. Now, here's this squiggly. You know what that means on a timeline? It means an indeterminate amount of time. We don't know how long. So someday Jesus is coming back. We don't know when. We don't know how long it's going to take. It could be tomorrow. So at some point in the future, Jesus is going to descend. He's going to come back bodily. Jesus is in a body now. He's going to come back bodily. When he does... Those who are dead in Christ will rise first. They will be reunited, soul and spirit, with their body. Maybe that's immediate after death for you and me. We don't know that exactly. But they will rise first and meet God in the air. Now, this doctrine, this belief is clear in Scripture. This is why a lot of times in history, Christians have not wanted to be cremated. Uh, Christians have been careful about their bodies. Sometimes the enemies of Christians have, have cut them in pieces and sent them out going, ha ha, good luck being resurrected now. Um, that puts limits on, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's silly. Our God is bigger than that. Yes, we will be bodily raised, but he can do it however he can do it. It's going to work out. So you will have a body. Uh, it, it'll work out. <laughs> believe in God, believe also in me. He can do it, okay? He rose from the dead. He got a new body. Our body will be like Jesus's. Those who are alive, when he comes back, they will get their new bodies right then without dying and meet him in the air. It's going to be sweet. I hope that's me. Um, but it, it, when he returns, we will be with him. Now, here's where debate comes. You know, when is the rapture? Is it before the tribulation, after the tribulation? Is there a tribulation? Before the millennium? Is there a millennium? Well, you know what? The Bible does talk about that stuff, but it's, it's gray. It's gray. And to stand on any of that firm going, I know, creates division, and that's not what God wants. And Jesus here, obviously, clearly, on purpose, does not go into detail. And so, he will, we will all be together with him. And the comfort in 1 Thessalonians is that you'll be with me forever. Then we go into eternity. What, what happens in here? Here's some question marks. I don't know exactly. I have ideas biblically. And I can tell you them in private if you want. But I don't know. But here's my confidence. Here's my hope, my security. Here's what comforts me. I'm going to get a new body. I'm going to be with Jesus. I'm going to be with you. And we're going to be with him forever. That's the comfort. He's going to come back. We can bank on it. In 1 Peter, the problem was people were saying he's waiting too long. And Peter teaches, he says, the Lord is not slow as some count slowness, but is patient, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So why is he waiting? He's waiting so more can be saved. And I'm glad he didn't come back 60 years ago, because if he did, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be saved. So he's, he's waiting. So we can bank on it. He's coming back. So that's the comfort. I hope that picture is helpful for some of us that think that way. But he's coming back, and the comfort is that we will be with him forever. Be comforted. Here's your note. 
by the fact that Jesus will return, and when he does, those who believe in him will be present with him forever. Now, we have a benefit that the disciples didn't have. We have the completed Bible. <laughs> we get to read all this. They didn't get it fully at that time. They got it later, but they didn't fully get it. And so here they, they ask the question that ends up being very helpful to us as well. Thomas says this. Well, Jesus says in verse 4, and you know the way to where I am going. Kind of a weird thing to say. You know the way to get there. He doesn't tell him where he's going. He said, but you know the way. Thomas speaks up, says what everybody's thinking. Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, this is the last I am statement in the gospel of John. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Man, this is awesome. They say, "How do, yes, amen, right. How do we get there? He said, you, you know the way. We don't know the way. Yeah, you do because you know me. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I am the way. The way is not a path, but a person through Jesus. Listen, every religion, every religion out there tells you how to get, what to do to get there. It gives you the path. You know, Buddhism, it's the, the sevenfold path to enlightenment, all these things. And all of these other religions, they, they point to something. They point to God. You know, uh, Muhammad came and he, and he pointed, he's like, oh, I now know the way. I have this insight. And they point this direction. Here's, you do all these things. Jesus is the only religious figure that pointed to himself and put himself on par with God, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's what sets Christianity apart from every other religion. It's not about what you do. It's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's so comforting. You know, Thomas and I would have gotten along because I am horrible with directions. Um, I, before GPS, I used to have to uh, get that Rand McNally. I don't know if you've had those, but you flip through and it's like R L, you know, three, and you find okay, and, you know, and follow, And I was lost all the time. Now with the phones, it's great, um, but I just don't. I don't know. I just don't have a sense of directions. You know, put me in a town where there's mountains and I can point to the mountains. That's west. Great. Uh, I'm just not made that way. Callie is decent-ish. Um, <laughs> she's better than me. Um, we went to Disneyland a couple years ago. And when we went to Disneyland, you know, they have the maps and stuff, but it's like, you know, it's confusing. So we had Brendan with us. Brendan, he knows that place like the back of his hand. So here we are. We're like, hey, we need to, we're here and let's go see Pirates of the Caribbean. Great. How do we get there? And Brendan just takes off. I'm like, we better check the map, you know? And he goes, and, and after doing that a few times, we just threw the map out, and Brendan, where do we go? And we'll just follow him to wherever. You know, we knew how to get to where we could go because we knew Brendan, and Brendan was there, and he could take us away. It's kind of the same way. We just need to know Jesus. We don't need to know all the details. We just need to know Jesus. And what's the comfort in verse one? Believe in God, believe also in me. We know Jesus, and we believe in him. Our faith is in him. That's it. That's the comfort. Place your faith in Jesus and trust that he's got it. He's got it. The way to the eternal presence of God is not a path to be followed, but a person to be trusted. He is the way because he is the only one and the only truth. He is the way and the truth. The truth. You know, 
we live in a, a society that will tell you, if you genuinely believe something, you're good. Just genuinely follow whatever it is you believe and you'll find your way to heaven. That is our, our tolerant culture. Jesus is here saying, you have to believe according to truth. And Jesus said, I am the truth. And he goes on to say, there is no way to the Father but through me. A genuinely held belief that's false is genuinely false and can lead to death. We were driving from Colorado back here and Callie was asleep and I decided not to look at my GPS, my map, and, and I genuinely thought this was the direction. You know, half hour later, I'm like, this doesn't look right. <laughs> and I pulled out my phone, I went, dang it. <laughs> I had to do a U-turn and go. I genuinely thought I was going the right way, but if I kept going, we would have been in San Diego. <laughs> we would not have gotten to where we wanted to go. I genuinely believed it, but it was wrong. This is why, hey, this is why evangelism is so important. This is why it's imperative that we go share the name of Jesus. Jesus crucified, rose from the dead, and faith in him leads to life because a genuinely held belief that's false leads to hell. Jesus says, believe, I am the truth and I am the life. The truth is that a sinner cannot be in the presence of God. The truth is that only through the shedding of blood can there be forgiveness of sins. The truth is that only a perfect sacrifice would be acceptable. The truth is no human can be that. The only possible truth for all of this is that the divine takes on flesh, becomes a man, lives a perfect life, and dies. He has to take on flesh so he can die. You know, I know people struggle with Jesus being God, and why would God demean himself to become a man? Because he loved us, and it was the only way, the only truth. That's the truth we have to hold, the truth that leads to life, and Jesus is the life. Jesus does not point the way. He is the way. Jesus does not just teach the truth. He is the truth, and eternal life is in him. This sets Jesus apart from every other religious figure. Now, look at seven with me. Jesus goes on. He said, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus here is going to describe his unity with the father. The beginning of John, this is why we're going through John. And if you've missed it, hop online and look at the old sermons and go through it or just read John and study it on your own. The reason we go through John is it gives us a great picture of Jesus. And if you get to know Jesus, you get to know the father. John 1, 1 begins this way. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The word is Jesus. And in John 1, 1, it says, Jesus is God. Later, it says the flesh or, or it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the order divine put on flesh and dwelt among us, but he didn't cease being divine. Some say Jesus stopped being God while he was, he didn't. He's 100% God and 100% man. How? I don't know. <laughs> I can't explain that. That's one of those mysteries that we just take on faith, but he was 100% both. And here he describes that unity with the father. Verse eight, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it's enough for us. Philip knew his Old Testament, but golly, anybody that saw the Father freaked out. <laughs> so show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? 
Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? This is the unity between the Father and the Son that we cannot fully grasp, but we have to, we have to stand on. We have to understand as much as we can about the Trinity and we have to believe it. Colossians 1.15 says that the Son is the image of the invisible God, the exact image, the exact representation. This was the first debate that hit the church. So uh, if you read church history, uh, the disciples died. The last disciple, John, probably died right at the end of the first century. The second century started, and now in the second century, you have the writings of the church fathers. And in there, one of the first debates was all about Jesus. Was he God? Was he not? And consistently, those who knew the disciples, those who stood on truth, Jesus was God. And they had to come up with language. You know, how do you explain Jesus being God but separate? That's where the word Trinity comes from. Triunity. It's not in the Bible. They had to come up with it. They didn't have that language then. The Trinity. And, and the words they came up with was, was that Jesus is the same substance as the Father. Distinct persons, but yet the same. Uh, maybe you've heard some of the analogies. Here's the best one that is horrible. H2O, right? You've got H2O. H2O can be a solid, a gas, or a liquid, but it's still H2O. You know, that's kind of an idea. How can it still be the same chemical? It is, but it's, but it's different. Or the egg. What's the egg? Is it the shell, the yolk, or the white? Well, all of it's the egg. I don't like that one as well. But they're kind of some pictures of when you think of an egg, it's all of it. When you think of H2O, it can be all of that. Jesus is united with the Father, yet he is a distinct person from the Father. Listen, this, if you want to know, to, to, uh, here's a, a hint of how to, to test a teacher, how to test a church. A church, uh, a person who denies the deity of Jesus is not standing on the gospel truth. If you hear that, that's where you walk away, you go back to the Bible. Jesus is God united perfectly with the Father. And he goes on, he says, the words I say, verse 10, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. He, he wraps this section of teaching up with believe again. Believe in the God, believe in the Father, believe in me. If you don't believe me, believe in the works. And in John, we've seen those works, the seven signs. Creation, he turned water into wine. Only God can create. He rose Lazarus from the dead. Only God can raise somebody from the dead. He raised others too, as you see in the other gospels. He did what only God can do. So he points to those things. Look what I've done. Only God can do that. Believe that. I am united with the Father. What's our application? What's our application in this? For me, the application is trust. When you're troubled, believe in God, believe also in Jesus. When you're troubled, bank on what he said in the scripture, he's coming back. Paul said things like this. He said, I am confident that the glory that is to be revealed, uh, it, that the sufferings of this present age are not comparable with the glory that is to be revealed. The things we go through in this life are nothing compared to what's gonna be awesome later. We can look forward Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I don't think this means that we look forward to the future and we're like, oh, life, life is horrible and I just can't wait to die. That's, that's not it. 
to live as Christ. We live boldly for him because what's coming is going to be great. It's going to be great. And it gives us confidence now as we move forward. I want to read you what Thomas Kempis wrote, kind of summarizing this. Very poetic. Follow thou me. I am the way and the truth and the life. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. I am the way which thou must follow, the truth which thou must believe, the life for which thou must hope. I am the sacred way, the infallible truth, the never-ending life. I am the straightest way, the sovereign truth, life true, life blessed, life uncreated. Listen, let's not dwell on the future. When prophecy is taught, evangelism increases, which is great. When, when you dig into to prophecy about the future, which I'm not against, but when you get wrapped up in that, you can get confused. The point of studying the future is to have confidence in Jesus now and to know he's coming back. All the details, we don't need to debate those. We can talk about them, and those are fun conversations. What does the Bible say? What, that's fun to look at. But here's our hope. He's coming back. He's coming back. And when he does, we get to be with him forever. Let me pray. <sighs> Jesus, return quickly, please. In Revelation, John writes, come, Lord, come. And we ask the same, come, Lord, come back. We want you with us. We want to be with you. We know that when you come back, there will be pleasures forevermore with you. We know things will be right. We don't know all the details, but we cannot wait. Lord Jesus Christ, there are troubled hearts in this room, troubled hearts right now. I ask that you would comfort us with your Holy Spirit. Comfort us with the knowledge that you're coming back. And all we have to do is believe, trust in you, and we are gonna be with you forever. Thank you, Jesus, for paving the way. Thank you, Jesus, for making the way on the cross. I don't think I ever could have asked you to do that. How horrible. But you did it. We love you. Now be honored and glorified as we take your supper and remember you. Be honored and glorified as we sing words of praise to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Alex, uh, one of our elders, is going to lead us in the Lord's Supper this morning.